I'm ready to roll. All right. All right. What food product was once considered suitable only as horse feed? And what country is building a one-building city? What? <laughs> okay, answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life with some fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia. Oh, our time is up. (laughs) Bob gave so many adjectives, we ran out of time. (laughs) Well, Marcia, name this food. It was once considered suitable only as horse feed. Oatmeal. That's exactly right. Really? (laughs) Yes. Ding, ding, ding. The man who changed all that was Ferdinand Schumacher, a German immigrant in Akron, Ohio. He was the man responsible for the change. He was born in 1822 in Hanover, and he came to America in 1850. He opened a small mill for grinding oats in the back of a grocery store in... Minnesota? Akron. Akron. Akron, Ohio, (laughs) and was surprised that people weren't eating the oats. They didn't like the oats. They didn't want the oats. They thought that's horse feed. Uh Uh-huh. But they were eating it in Europe. So oh, he, they were? Okay. So he helped popularize it by uh, using uh, advertising. A gentleman who was a Quaker, Quaker Oats Company, oh, he started okay. it. Yeah. That's how it got, well, that makes sense. He wasn't sense. a Quaker, but the uh, symbol he used was the Quaker. The, the guy with the hat. That's right. Okay. So uh, that eventually became the largest oat milling complex in the world. And uh, when he started doing this, though, the uh, cartoonists of the time had a field day. They depicted oat-eating humans wearing feed bags, whinnying <laughs> loudly, <laughs> whinnying loudly like horses. Yeah, that's how you are in the morning after you eat. <laughs> <laughs> so there's an example of changing things by marketing it differently. Uh-huh. You know? Absolutely. There are some great examples of, like, wristwatches. That's right. That, that used to be a woman thing, and they had to man them up. That's right. For a guy to put it on his wrist. That's one reason uh, Lindbergh was asked to wear one. Yeah, and that did the trick. And World War I changed it, too. Yeah, that's a Tim Allen kind of woo, woo, woo. (laughs) Okay, what country is building a city with one building in it? I'll give you multiple choice here. Okay, so this is the city with one building. Yeah, there's a country. I'll give you some countries. Okay. United States, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, or Norway? I'll say Norway. Yeah, good guess. No. Norway. Okay, it, then let me guess again. It's Saudi Arabia. Yes, those wacky Saudis. <laughs> They're going to build a city with one building? Well, one building in the desert, the Saudi Arabian desert. It's 106 mile long. Uh, the building it? will be 106 miles long? Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. I don't know why they announced their plans in 2021. They're still building, apparently. And it's called the City of Neom, N-E-O-M. It will include this megastructure called The Line. The Line. Yeah. Because it's such a long building. I would think, yeah, yeah. So what's it going to be used for? Well, it's a home for people who, quote, dream big and want to be part of a building for sustainable living, working, and prospering. So it's some kind of experimental community, yeah, so yeah, to speak. Yeah, it's never been done before. And you get to live in the desert. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yippee. Can't wait for that. <laughs> All right. Well, Marsha, I have a question here. What famous 
author dedicated a book to each of his four wives. Oh, that is that is gentlemanly <laughs> of him. That's a nice way to make a, yeah make a good use of your uh, the fact that you've married four times. I'd be right? so honored. Sounds like an Ernest Hemingway thing. That's exactly who it was. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Each time he got divorced, he was married again within the year, but he always within left something behind oh. in print. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the dedication for the sun also rises went to his first wife, Elizabeth Hadley. Richardson. Death in the Afternoon was dedicated to his second wife, Pauline Pfeiffer, for whom the bell tolls was for his third wife, Martha Gellhorn, and across the river and into the trees went to Mary with love. <laughs> that was to uh, his uh, Time and Life magazine correspondent wife, Mary Welsh. I see. But very curious to me, Bob, he's he gets married each time within a year. That is so pathetic. I know, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Macho man. Not so much as we know. Okay, so, Bob, where is the world's skinniest skyscraper? The world's skinniest skyscraper? Yes. yes. So this would be a skyscraper with maybe like one office at the top or something like that? The, it's the whole building is skinny. Really? Yeah. Where is it? Want to guess? No, not really. Okay. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I'll guess. Bob, it's I'll, a I'll guess. Show. I'll guess that that is also in the uh, Middle East, like Saudi Arabia uh-huh. or something like that. Yeah, I would have guessed or that. Or the United Arab Emirates. Yeah, but no, it's New York City. Really? Yeah, the 84-story residential Steinway Tower. It has a logic-defying ratio of height to width. It's 23 and a half to one. A thin building is one to ten. That's considered a slender building. You hmm. know, width to uh, height. 23 and a half to one. Wow. The 60 apartments in 84 stories. That's interesting. That's pretty exclusive. Yes. The 60 apartments in the tower cost from 18 to 66 million per unit. Oh my goodness. And they offer a 360 degree view of the city. And check this out. When the wind blows, those luxury homes on the upper floors sway by a few feet. Oh my can goodness. Can you imagine a few feet? I can see a little few inches, but if my house were going three feet to the left and right, I'd oh, have Oh dear, a, that's like a comedy movie or uh, something, yeah, isn't I'd it? Yeah, I'd have a corridor. <laughs> no kidding, so would I. That would be scary. So this has 84 floors, 60 apartments, and they cost how much? Anywhere from 18 to 66 million. Well, I'll take two of them. <laughs> Jeez, can you believe that? Well, okay, I've got a question about a state, okay? Okay. What state was once a county of Virginia? I'm going to give you four choices here. Okay, thank you. Maryland, Kentucky, Tennessee, or Rhode Island? I'll say Maryland. That sounds like that would be appropriate because it's close to Virginia, but actually it's Kentucky on the other side of the Alleghenies. It was a county, huh? It was a county. The great state of Kentucky was once a great county of Virginia. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? That is funny. A county the size of Kentucky seems huge, right? Yes. But imagine how big Virginia was at the time. Oh, that makes sense. From 1611 to 1620, it stretched from sea to shining sea encompassing most of the 48 states of the United States and parts of Mexico and Canada. So it went from Atlantic to the Pacific. This was because King James was trying to keep the investors investing in Virginia because Jamestown was suffering so badly. Uh So he says, well, I'll give you the whole continent there. (laughs) Because King James didn't want Jamestown to fail. Oh, for God's sakes. So anyway, Kentucky became a county in this huge land mass. And then after the Revolutionary War in 1792, it had enough settlers that it became a state. 
That's hard to believe. Yeah. I got one you're going to like. Okay. According to the film industry website, it's called The Number, what movie actors are the top three box office stars domestically? Well, I would say Tom Cruise has got to be probably number one. And that would be wrong. What? <laughs> we, okay. Um, Samuel Jackson. Ah, very good. He's, uh, he's number two. He's number two. Well, who's number one? Number one is Stan Lee. Stan Lee? <laughs> okay, let me explain. So number one is Stan Lee because his films that he appeared in grossed more money than uh, all the other ones. He acted in 49 films, films like Ant-Man, Iron Man, Spider-Man, Black Widow, Black Panther, Avenger, Captain Mar- you name it. Oh, so this is a technicality. It's this is an actor who's films. appeared in the highest, highest grossing, grossing films. films. Correct. I see. Not necessarily the star or the highest paid person. Correct. He acted in 49 films that grossed $30.6 billion worldwide. But we're not done. Who is number three? Okay. <laughs> so we got Sam Jackson. Number right. two, we got Stan Lee. I've got uh, Sylvester Stallone. There's, a, there's one. <laughs> no. Okay, Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson. The... No. Okay. Uh, <laughs> all right, who? All right, it's Frank Welker. Ever hear of him? No. <laughs> He's a voice and on-camera actor in 112 films, films in which his voice characters have grossed $7.4 billion domestically and $4 billion globally. He's lent his voices to Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, he was the footstool, of course. You, rem- <laughs> you remember that. Oh, yes. Super uh, Mario Brothers, role. Transformers, Scooby-Doo. He was Scooby-Doo. Oh. Uh, the Lion King, Star Trek, and Caddyshack. Who do you think he was in Caddyshack? The gopher. Oh, no <laughs> kidding. So he lent his voice to all of those films yeah. and more. Yeah. So he's number three. Wow. Okay. Eat well, your heart out, Bob. Interesting, <laughs> interesting technicality there. Yeah. More high-grossing films than any other actors, and and only one of them we've really heard. Stan Lee, of course, he was a Marvel Comics creator. Then he became a producer when they got into films, and then he was in all these cameos. 49 mm-hmm. films? I didn't know there were that many. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah. Okay, Marsha, a word origin question for you today. Okay, dope. What automobile phrase comes from the stagecoach era? Um... Hit your wagon. No. You get in the car. People go, okay, you, you can drive. I'm going to be riding. Oh, um, uh, when you sit next to the driver, you're riding. Um, shotgun. Shotgun. Yeah. That makes sense. That's where your shotgun would go when back in the wagon days. That's exactly right. That was a big responsibility to ride shotgun on stagecoaches in the Wild yeah. West. Because if uh, they were transporting something valuable, you uh, who sat beside the driver might be a task with fending off thieves and wild animals with an actual shotgun. But I never thought about, hey, I'll ride shotgun. It makes sense. Makes perfect sense. Okay. All right, Bob. According to a recent survey, what are considered the top rudest cities in America? The top rudest? Rudest cities. Rudest cities. I always thought Philadelphia was one of those cities. It is. It's number one. Yeah. It is rude. So you got number one. I'll tell you the other top ones. Okay. Memphis. Really? New York City, Las Vegas, and Boston. See, I'm surprised Memphis is, you know, the southern cities usually yeah. more cordial. Yeah. But yeah. So Memphis was number two? Yeah. New wow. York City, three, Las Vegas, four, and Boston is five. Okay. Okay, so how about in the same survey, how about the most polite cities? The most polite cities, Minneapolis? Nope, not, not well, in the top five. Really, Minnesota nice. That's always yeah. what I hear. But you're wrong. Hmm. Number one is Austin. Two is San Diego. Then Fort Worth, 
then Nashville and Indianapolis, the five nicest cities five in America. Five pl- most pleasant people yeah. in those cities. Yeah. What, what's this survey from? What is this? It's a Preply Language Learning App survey. The Preply Language Learning App survey? Yeah, it's, a, it's a learning app, and they did a survey of all their uh, users. Okay. And that was the questions they asked. It's <laughs> interesting. Yes. Okay, I've got some family questions. These I'm are, a family. These are the Bible. This is from the Bible. Oh, God. Uh, yeah. Who's the worst family member in Scripture? This is an interesting list here. Abraham, who was willing to sacrifice his only son on God's command. You might say, well, he was he was a good person. Well, he was willing to kill his son. Cain, who killed his only brother. And then, of course, Joseph's brothers tried to kill him for his coat. <laughs> yeah, that, that's pretty bad. I just think these are funny because they you, you think of it in, in its rudest terms as yeah. opposed to being the sacred stories. You these know. are not Hallmark movies. These are people who were bad. Okay, yeah. who is the Bible's most married man? No idea. The one who's considered the wisest. Isn't it interesting? <laughs> King Solomon. Oh, really? <laughs> He's described as having 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's a little much. Oh, my goodness. All right. Okay, Bob, think fast. Okay. Who was the first person to sail around the world? Well, it wasn't Magellan. I know this story. It was a guy who worked for Magellan because Magellan died on the voyage. Well, very good, Bob. But you, I don't know the guy's you name. You don't need to know the name, but I thought for sure you'd say Magellan, and I would. Uh-huh. I was going to go, aha, he made it halfway around. Then he <laughs> died, and his navigator, Juan Sebastian Elcano, stepped up and led the crew back to Spain. That was a, such an amazing story. People are starting to look at that again with all the stuff they went through. And going through that, uh, was it, Cape down at the uh, tip of South America, that's a horrible place to yeah. try to take a sailing ship through. Yeah, Magellan was not considered the best boss, apparently. Oh, really? Uh, he was 41 when he died. Mm-hmm. He was killed in the Battle of Mactan in 1521 in the Philippines. It ran into resistance by the indigenous population. Okay, so it wasn't his own people on the boat. No, but there was a mutiny. He had all kinds of problems on that trip. The fellow who took lead of the expedition sailed it all the rest of the way to Spain. So I forget there was only a fraction of the people on that ship that came back alive. Oh, really? Yeah. Bad managing. <laughs> well, it was, you know, nobody had gone around the world before. Yeah. Really? How were. long were they gone? Took off in 1519. Magellan was killed in 1521, and they returned to Spain in 1522. Okay. So it was... Uh, three years. About three years. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I think it's time we take a break. All righty. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. We'll be back in just a moment. We're back. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Marsha, what is the lightning capital of the United States? Aha. Is it on the plains of Nebraska? Is it down in the prairies of Texas? Is it in Hawaii or Florida? Where is the lightning capital of the United States? What state? I will say Kansas. Well, that's not one of the ones I mentioned, Marsh, but jeez. Notice I've always had my own mind. <laughs> okay, let's try it again. Ne- Nebraska, Texas, Hawaii, okay. or Florida? I, Nebraska. No, it's Florida. Okay. Florida has more lightning strikes than any other state in the country, with the area between the cities of Tampa and Orlando called Lightning Alley. Really? You've heard of Tornado Alley. Yeah. This is Lightning Alley. How many cloud-to-ground lightning flashes every day in Florida? Every day? Every day. Ten? More than that. Twenty? No, more than that. Tell me. 
Three thousand. Oh no! Five hundred a day. Three thousand five hundred cloud to ground lightning flashes per day in Florida, and one point two million lightning flashes per year. That is. Astounding! That is amazing. According to a ten-year study, part of the reason for this is the unique shape of Florida's peninsula and the warm weather that surrounds it foster frequent thunderstorms, especially in the afternoon when the land is warmed up enough to create uh, ideal conditions. So, if you're heading to Florida as a tourist, remember the Florida motto: "When lightning roars, head indoors." That's oh, actually a slogan they oh, use down there. Oh, that's funny. Get inside of a building or a car. Okay, I'll remember that. But Florida isn't the world champion for lightning strikes. Where is that? Do you have any idea? The world champion. World champion, champion. for I, lightning strikes. Tell me. It's in Venezuela. Oh, okay. Catatumbo <laughs> Lightning. That was the place. They call it the everlasting storm down there. Hmm. All right. I'm going to do a couple short ones here. All right. What do these words have in common, Bob? Hillbilly, gobbledygook, serendipity. Hillbilly, gobbledygook, and serendipity. Yeah. Were these from Shakespeare? These weren't Shakespeare words, were no, they? No, no. Hillbilly, gobbledygook, serendipity. I, I don't know. They'd... Yeah, they are three of pretty many untranslatable English words. Oh, really? Yeah, they just <laughs> there's just no other words in any language form. I would have thought serendipity, but nay. Serendipity comes from serendip, which was an ancient name for Sri Lanka, In at least one Persian fairy tale, the word was used to describe people who make discoveries they weren't looking for. Oh, really? And so it was coined by Horace Walpole in 1754, and he just made it up, and there you are, serendipity. But you can't translate it? No. Huh. Yeah, they can't think of a translatable word for it. Well, that's a good one. Yeah, it's one word. So it was hillbilly, serendipity, and what was the other one? Gobbledygook. Gobbledygook. Yeah. Okay. Okay, Bob. In 1520, these animals were called strange geese by the Europeans who first saw them. What animal are we talking about? Strange geese. (laughs) Strange geese. So something that's kind of a duck or flies, but isn't, it looks odd. It's not turkeys, are they? No. Strange geese. 1520. Yeah, well, that doesn't help me. I know. (laughs) 1520. Oh, no, it was 1980. Yeah. Uh, No, what was it? Penguins. Oh, strange geese. Isn't that funny? Can you imagine seeing a penguin for the first time? They come out in their little tuxedos and go, what the hell is that? So Europeans (laughs) hadn't seen penguins until 1520. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that is a strange animal. Yeah. Strange looking animal. Strange geese. And they were called strange geese. (laughs) Hey, speaking of animals, another Bible question here for you. Animals and the Bible. What are the most frequently mentioned animals in the Bible. Oh, God. Uh, mules or asses? No. No. Um, now, there are about a hundred animals ambling across the pages of the Bible. Jeez. Oh, it's not the, uh, it's, it's not camels. No. Oh, <laughs> would it be a goat? No. <laughs> it's not? No. What? Okay. Sheep, Marsha. Sheep. (laughs) Sheep. Goats are a distant second, though. Okay. And it's interesting because some of the animals that have since disappeared from the Middle East, such as hippopotami and crocodiles. Hippopotami are mentioned in the book of Job. Crocodiles are mentioned in Ezekiel. Cheetahs are mentioned in Habakkuk, and bears are mentioned in 2 Kings. Lions are mentioned in 150 occasions. Okay, Bob, what country in the world consumes the most frozen pizza per capita? (laughs) 
It's not the United States, no. huh? No, per capita. Per capita, more frozen pizza. Than anybody else, hands okay. down, way above everybody else. I'm going to say something like Norway or oh, Denmark. Excellent. Norway? Norway. Hands down, it says, this country of around 5.4 million people consumes more than 47 million frozen pizza pies a year. <laughs> That's a roughly comes out to like 11 pounds per person of pizza per year. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay, Marsha, another word origin. Rub someone the wrong way. You've had a lot of experience with this. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> it means to annoy or bother another person. There you go. That's my. <laughs> and I know you've been known to rub some people the wrong way. <laughs> it's my history. Okay. Where does that come from? Well, it goes back to colonial times. Colonial in America. times. Well, it, oh. something servants did. Oh, if you if you accidentally touch your master, are you rubbing them the wrong no, way? No, no. Okay, no. tell me. Okay, during colonial times, some Americans would have their servants rub the floorboards in a specific way. Oh. So you rub the oak slabs. If you rub them the wrong way, that would result in the formation of streaks, which ruined oh. the floorboards oh. and annoyed the homeowner. Don't oh. rub me the wrong way. Oh, that's funny. I've got another one, too. All right. Skeleton in the closet. Oh, that's a... That's a secret somebody's embarrassed about, right? Right, right. Oh, Where does come, this come from? Is it from ancient medical days when uh, it was against the law to have skeletons because they would steal the skeletons from graves? Grave you robbers? are very close to what it is, yes. It goes back to the UK. Before the UK passed its 1832 Anatomy Act, uh, <laughs> grave robbers supplied skeletons for medical schools. Oh, ding, ding. And when a raid occurred, the teachers tended to hide those skeletons in the closet so they didn't get them confiscated. I was right. There's a skeleton in the closet. I wasn't close. I was right. You were very close. I was right. No, you were very close. (laughs) You said ancient times. It's not ancient times. All right. That weren't exactly right. All right. right. Here's one you won't get. (laughs) In, In the grasslands of Nebraska, near the South Dakota border, Bob, lies the municipality of Monowi, M-O-N-O-W-I. Hmm. What makes this place unique? Monowi? It's a singular distinction, I would assume, It being mono. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, Actually, you're on to something Oh, really? There. Okay. Yeah. Mono meaning one? Uh-huh. We means Wi-Fi? I don't know. What? What is it? <laughs> the town's sole residence is Elsie Eiler. She's a woman in her 80s. She's the total population of the town. She's the town's mayor, clerk, librarian, treasurer. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> and she receives funding for municipal road work in her town. She wears all the hats in that town. <laughs> and there's only one. That's Mono Wee. <laughs> <laughs> Mono Wee, Nebraska? Yeah. All right, Marsha, what is the world's oldest airline still in operation, and when did it begin? I'll give you four names, okay? Okay. okay. American, Delta, KLM, or Qantas? I'll say KLM. That's exactly right. KLM Royal Dutch Airlines. They began in the Netherlands in October 1919. So that makes them the world's oldest airline. In their first year of operation, they transported 440 people, (laughs) just a fraction of the 34 million who recently flew on KLM in uh, 2018. All right, Bob. How long after Charles Schultz, the uh, creator of Peanuts, how long after he died did his new cartoons continue to run? Usually cartoonists work about three or four months in advance, maybe Mm -hmm. six months, but I think he was really far out there. So I'd say two years later. (laughs) One day. 
<laughs> oh my God, really? <laughs> but you're right. He did have that work ethic. Uh, he was notoriously hard worker and was rumored to have taken only one real vacation in his whole life. And still, he was a day behind? <laughs> well, no, he was a day ahead. <laughs> one day. One day ahead. He never missed a deadline, ever. Reportedly, the only time peanut strips were ever republished during his entire lifetime were when United Features ordered him to take five weeks off around his 75th birthday. <laughs> they it, ordered him to take yeah, time off. Yeah, it, it wasn't easy for him. It was perhaps fitting that when he died of colon cancer two years later, it was just one day before his last original strip ran. Very good. Mm-hmm. Okay, one more word origin question. Red herring, where does that come Aha, from? Red herring. I don't, because there are no red herrings that it's, it's, it's unobtainable. No, I don't think that's it. Okay. Red well. herring means a clue that's meant to mislead or distract someone. Yeah. Okay. Well, during the 17th century, hunters would train their dogs to follow the correct scent. They would do this by placing pungent smoked fish in trees to distract the dogs so they would oh, become really? used to ignoring irrelevant scents. Oh, that's cool. So finally they go, no, that's not it. You know, mm -hmm. that's not it. Come over here. Yeah. So they would just start ignoring this thing. Oh, it was very irrelevant. Very interesting. Okay, one more question for me before my quote. Okay. Why are pigs, Bob, considered a lucky symbol in Germany to this day? Why are pigs considered yeah. a lucky symbol Bet in Germany? Bet you didn't Germany? know that. No, I, di I had no idea. I didn't either. It's a, actually a very common sense reason. Okay, what is it? It goes back to the Middle Ages, when owning a large number of pigs signified wealth and prosperity. While farmers might have wanted to hang onto a cow for milk and a horse for transport, pigs weren't too valuable to sacrifice for the dinner table. Therefore, if you had pigs, you'd never go hungry. Hmm. And uh, they considered that good fortune. And centuries later, these farm animals are still a lucky symbol. The German expression, Schweingebot, translates literally to got pig. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. Though the phrase effectively means got lucky. And if you wish someone in Germany good luck, it's customary to bring them a marzipan pig that's wrapped in dough, sweet almond dough, and to accompany your message with this lucky thing, particularly to ring in the new year. So a pig is considered good luck for the new year. So it was a sense of security. Yeah. You had pigs. Yeah. You'd always eat. Yeah. Never have a problem. Yeah. Lucky you with the pig pen there. <laughs> <laughs> and we all eat ham here on the holidays, too. Yeah. Okay. Why don't you finish up with a quote, Marsh? What do you got there? <laughs> Somerset Mom. There are three rules for writing a novel. Unfortunately, no one knows what they are. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> and here's one by Paul Newman. Mm -hmm. I wasn't driven to acting by an inner compulsion. I was running away from the sporting good business. Oh, that's right. We saw that documentary <laughs> yeah. where they talk about yeah, that. He, I think his dad had sporting good business, and we wanted him to uh, work for him. Oh, isn't that funny? And so he found something else to do. Something other than sporting goods it's, to sell. And it uh, done him good. All right. That's all the time we have today. It looks like we should move on. In fact, you should move on, Mark. What do you <laughs> I'm not leaving. Oh, okay. I live here. Oh, that's right. Well, that's all we have for today. We hope you've enjoyed listening to our show. And if you'd like to send us uh, your uh, fact or piece of trivia, you can do so by going to our website, theofframp.show, and scrolling all the way down to contact us and leave your information there. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next time when we return with more fun facts and tantalizing trivia here on The, the Off-Ramp. Off -Ramp. 
The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.